Helane Wabe is the Director of Research at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, an adjunct assistant professor of neurology, the president of the Parapsychological Association, and a clinically trained naturopathic physician. Her most recent book is titled The Science of Channeling, Why You Should Trust Your Intuition and Embrace the Force That Connects Us All. Her research interests include mind-body medicine and extended human capacities, otherwise known as psi phenomena or channeling. Timestamps are in the description, and thank you in advance for watching. So, Helane, I can't wait to talk to you a little bit about your personal experiences a little bit later, but before we do, I'd love it if you could tell me about your, your background, your professional background, and your current research interests. Thank you, Ben. It's so wonderful to be here with you today. My background is really quite eclectic, and I think that really sets me up to do the incredible work that I'm doing today. My bachelor's is actually in anthropology, and I studied medical anthropology at UC Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And I was always very interested in health and mind-body medicine and how our mind influences our health. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going to naturopathic medical school where I got a clinical degree and had a private practice for quite a while. But research and my curiosity about how things work really inspired me to get into clinical research and studying mind-body medicine. So mm. I moved into uh, postdoctoral research fellowships focused on complementary and alternative medicine and mind-body medicine. So I got a postdoctoral clinical research fellowship at Oregon Health and Science University and also got a master's in clinical research. So that's what really launched my clinical research career that was mostly focused on meditation and yeah. how meditation uh, can support us in many different ways. Through that, I received an invitation to go to the Institute of Noetic Sciences, which I'd never heard of before, for this gathering of meditation researchers to look at how meditation research was happening and what was missing mm -hmm. and such. So I was just absolutely amazed at the research that IONS, which is the acronym for the Institute, was doing and was just so inspired to want to join their team. Mm -hmm. So, you know, synchronistic event after synchronistic event, I ended up moving to California joining their team as a consultant and then as a scientist employee. And now I'm the director of research. So yeah. I'm just absolutely thrilled to be doing the work that I'm doing and building on the various backgrounds that I have to support our team and the research. Awesome. Yeah. And like you said, eclectic is a, it's a great way to describe it. Like all these different, these different areas coming together, the anthropology, the meditation and the clinical side is really fascinating. And, and you've been at IONS since then, I suppose, since you first joined them. Yes. It's since 2015. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, and, and yeah, so your main areas of interest at the moment, your main areas of research interest right now, how would you kind of categorize them? So, my personal interest is around what I call channeling, yeah. which is this idea of how we can access information and energy from beyond our conventional notions of time and space. And that that can appear receptive, like, you know, getting insight about things or expressive, like our intention affecting the physical world. Mm. 
Now that is really housed under ION's more global research agenda, which is focused on this accessing information and energy, and also looking at transformational practices and how those can support us in um, being able to tap into that noetic wisdom. And you may have noticed that noetic was in the name of the Institute. Noetic means inner wisdom. Uh, it comes from the Greek that mean, uh, meaning, sorry, the Greek gnosis, uh, which means inner wisdom. So mm -hmm. that's what IONS is really all about tapping yeah. into and researching that inner wisdom. Yeah, it's fascinating. The thing that connects us all. Um, yeah. And I can't wait to circle back to, to learn more about channeling and, and about your book and, and everything like that. Um, but I guess, yeah, now would be a great time if we can kind of go back in time. And, and if you can tell me a little bit about your childhood uh, or your earlier life. I mean, it sounds like you had some fascinating experiences. And again, I guess an eclectic upbringing, just like your eclectic uh, professional life. Um, so, yeah, I think I was listening to you on another podcast or I can't remember exactly where I heard you mention this. Um, but I think you you attended your first seance so like uh, with me mediumship a seance in regards to that at the age of ten. Um, so yeah, tell me a little bit about that. Tell me a little bit about your earlier life and how that came about. And and yeah, I'm really really interested to hear about it. Yes, absolutely. So you know, I shared a little bit about my career, my credentials, etc. Nowhere in there did I say I went to my first kind of spiritualist seance when I was 10 years old, because it was something that I rarely shared with people. I didn't talk about it in my career. And yet my upbringing was steeped in various spiritual traditions. I was raised actually Orthodox Christian. I went mm. to church every Sunday, very uh, my father was a chanter in the church, very involved, uh, very involved in the youth programs, etc. I also went to Catholic uh, school because the Catholic school in my area was the best school. My parents wanted me to get the best education. So I was steeped in Catholicism as well as Orthodox Christianity. And then my mother's side of the family were... I now know essentially spiritualists. I didn't know that term in the past, but they would have meetings, weekly meetings, where everyone would gather in a circle and my grandmother or my uncle would do something called trans channeling, where they believe that their body is being used as a vehicle for a non-physical being to speak through them. And so, my grandmother would be speaking in all these different voices. My uncle would be speaking different voices. And this happened every week. People would gather. They would ask questions. Uh, the, the supposed spirits would offer guidance and wisdom and personal messages to the various sitters. And that belief that we are more than our body, that our soul survives, that we can communicate with the other side um, and the various um, beliefs around that worldview dramatically affected me in my life in a positive way, I feel. And yeah. so now at IONS, I get to actually use my research background to study that phenomenon, which is so exciting because my academic career, I couldn't talk about this at all. Uh. No, 
course not. And you must feel like, you know, constantly when you're, you're meeting people and yeah, like going for jobs and stuff that, yeah, this is, you know, something you don't want to let out there. And now it's kind of come full circle and now it's very central part of what you do which is yeah. yeah awesome it must feel so good how i mean i don't even know if you would remember this at least in any detail but when you attended say that first meeting as as your family called them or or séance as they're more widely known when you attended that the first time what was your thought you know process what were your feelings were you kind of freaked out were you like whoa why is everybody being so weird like what's going on like do you do you have any recollection of that I do. I have a very distinct memory of standing in the back of the room because I, my mom brought me in and, you know, I love my mom. I've forgiven her for this a long time ago, but she didn't give me any context and didn't really prep me for what I was about to step into. She just, we're going to, I'm going to take you to the meeting today. And so you know, I came in and here was my uncle speaking in this totally bizarre voice and everyone was around. And I remember, I think my greatest fear was, could the spirit jump into me, mm. you know, without permission? That was my my greatest fear. And I did end up talking to my mom and grandparents about that. And they reassured me that that couldn't happen and uh, slowly felt safer um, in that environment. And I think the other piece around it is you know, I never thought that, oh, they're just faking it because there is no motivation. You know, they weren't getting paid. There was no, you know, fame or whatever awaiting them for doing this. And I couldn't imagine my uncle or my grandmother like producing the personalities that were actually speaking through them. So yeah. never in my mind was like, oh, they're just faking it. This is all a show. It felt uh, resonantly true to me at that time. Once I got past this initial discomfort around, yeah. could they jump into me? Yeah, and I, I guess in in those kind of situations as well, like where there is seemingly no motivation to fake it, the only way that it could, or seemingly the only way that it would be faked, is if the person that is, you know, the medium or the channel or whatever is unaware that they're faking. They're either kind of subconsciously or accidentally or, you know, just compelled on some level that they're not really intentionally doing. But did were there, do you remember whether there were many evidential kind of communications or evidential things that, that took place in, in your family? My grandfather was a scholar of this work and, you know, wrote a book called Life After Death in Arabic. In, oh, wow. In, like, I think the 40s or 50s. That's awesome. And he yeah. studied that in Palestine and then realized that his wife, who he had just married, was a trans channeler. And that just made him incredibly happy because he could <laughs> just study her. So he was a meticulous uh documentarian and recorded and transcribed everything. Now, I think because of my closeness to my family, I haven't actually delved into that text for to try to verify it in any way. It's just volumes and volumes. It feels like I'm a little too close to it and would be too biased. Mm. So, um, so I haven't personally evaluated that and no other research researcher has either so i can't really answer that question i will say that you know the wisdom that i received as personal messages to me uh were quite 
um, supportive and uh, nurturing, if you will. And I did have uh, one experience of healing that was quite profound. I actually had a horse accident. I was horseback riding and I was thrown and uh, it messed my spine up really bad. I couldn't walk. Like they basically had to carry me into my grandparents' house. And my uncle did a healing on me. And, you know, it probably lasted maybe half an hour or so. And after that, I was able to walk just fine. And there was no pain at all. So that's, you know, an N of one um, evidential anecdote. Some people might say, oh, that's placebo. But I don't know. I think a horse fall really did create some damage there. Yeah. And the people that say that, oh, it's placebo, I think placebo it's quite easy to forget or not realize how extraordinary that is you know the placebo effect uh, as a standalone thing obviously it doesn't compare to like somebody putting their hands on somebody and and healing them but the placebo effect is quite extraordinary and as somebody that studies you know the mind-body relationship and mind-body medicine like that that i guess that's something you're really interested in or aware of and everything absolutely i wholeheartedly agree with that because it's true people will say oh it's just placebo (laughs) what is that when you yeah. break that down, it's like, oh, that means the power of my mind actually created this effect, positive or negative. It's like, yeah. that's huge. You know, <laughs> why do you study that? And the effect sizes are actually quite remarkable yeah. sometimes to see the placebo effect in action. So I think it's shifted a little bit. I think people are starting to realize the power of that and trying to maximize it in some ways. But it's true yeah. that phrase it's just placebo is just silly to me yeah it's hopefully going to be one of these like entry level kind of phenomena that that is kind of widely accepted by the mainstream and it's going to that's going to be one of the places where people start to awaken to maybe all of these other aspects of reality that are kind of not talked about or you know discussed exactly. yeah and it's also um you know it's just a sign of our current paradigm to dismiss the power of the unseen, you know, yeah. because it's like, okay, the, the physical pharmaceutical is the real actor. And even though the mind may play an effect, that doesn't really count. So I'm just going to like dismiss that. That's just placebo. I'm going to just focus on this mechanistic pharmaceutical action because that's, what's really important, but you can see how, um illogical that is you know it really just demonstrates how our worldview and our filter skews how we view reality and limits what we um can actually perceive yeah and when you think about it more as well with the placebo effect you know like the the what do we think the budgets are for all the pharmaceutical medicinal companies probably in the trillions per year um and how much money have we spent investing in researching how to maximize as you say the the placebo effect as we call it cuz yeah it just it seems the mind boggles you know like we have an effect that we've observed that we accept where yeah our body can repair itself just based on the intention of our mind seemingly and um and yeah we just kind of like oh we just need we need to account for that when we test the drugs that's that's all we need to worry that's what we need to think about um you, you brought up you brought up the money and i think that is a huge factor because you yeah. can't patent our intention no and yeah. so it's not a money maker you know yeah. so if 
course, we're going to put our energy into the substance that we can patent, make a lot of money on. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, I think those are huge driving forces in why there isn't more attention paid to the power of our mind. Yeah, and unfortunately, as you say, but you're, you're it's, it's totally correct, absolutely correct. Yeah, unfortunately, the the profit motive is uh, is too powerful. Um, so before we kind of move on a little bit, are there any other particularly memorable? Because I'm assuming you had lots of interesting experiences as a child. Um, are there any other particularly memorable experiences that maybe you can mention or you'd like to share before we before we move on? Well, I think we had numerous. I mentioned my uncle doing a healing session on me when I was quite mm. injured. My mother also uh, developed her trans channeling ability as I got older. So that was really exciting because I'm I'm quite close to her and got to observe her um, development. And I think observing her, my uncle, my grandmother, with the various personalities that would come speak through them just was so profound how yeah. it could switch so quickly and it was like this completely formed personality that could engage in conversation and you mentioned you know um they may not be consciously faking it but maybe there's some unconscious aspect to them producing these personalities and if you think of the worldview that we're all one mm -hmm. that we are all actually interconnected then whatever personality does come through is still a part of them. So on that level, it could be an unconscious bringing forth of an aspect of themselves. Yeah. The people also say, well, it's just their higher self. It's still them, but it is an unconscious aspect of them coming through. And the reality is we just really don't know exactly what the source is. We can't definitively prove uh, what that source is. And yet, from my perspective, observing it, um, it's just incredibly remarkable and seems um, incredibly difficult for someone to be able to manufacture that in, mm. in a conscious way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, fascinating. So again, last thing I'll ask you about that then before we before we do move forward is with the healing that your uncle was doing. So was he laying on hands? Do you do you recall again in detail like how he was doing it? That was he was he saying anything? Did he have any kind of like little procedure that he did? Um, or was it totally organic? Like how how did that go down? How did that happen? Yes, it was it was quite organic. And he did lay his hands on me. He wasn't massaging. They were just on my body and his hands became incredibly, incredibly hot. Mm, okay, and I yeah. distinctly remember that. And he was yeah. quiet. He wasn't saying anything. Uh, he just moved them around at various points. And um, the heat, I think, was the most remarkable for me. Interesting. Do you do you know Suzanne Temple? Have you heard of Suzanne Temple? She's done research into kind of studying altered states of consciousness and things like that. She sat with, uh, she studied kind of mediums and psychics and various different, yeah, altered states of consciousness and, and done EEG readings on them and things like that. Anyway, she had, I guess, in a way, 
some 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 overlap with yourself she had some interesting experiences through her childhood and i guess her family had some abilities that were maybe more obvious than for most people and i think it, i can't remember who it was for her it might i think it was her dad but it was somebody had uh, yeah like kind of healing hands they just called it they, they said he had like hot hands and they they would say like oh can i have your hot hands because i've got a headache or something like that yes. and she yeah. shared a couple of stories where he'd put these you know these hot hands on on people and and yeah make them better um, yeah. So that's that's interesting. I wonder if that's kind of a very present thing amongst all people that claim they can heal or have been healed by somebody. I wonder if there's always that hot hands yeah. aspect. Um, you know, I don't know if there's been a formal study around that. We've done a few studies with energy healers, mm. including Reiki masters. And I think it's a common subjective experience is that the practitioners feel that their hands are getting hot. So mm. I think I have heard that from many, many different practitioners. I don't know if yeah. it's been really studied to act because it would be very easy just to evaluate the temperature of the hands as they're doing the work. Yeah, definitely. Maybe it's something that the ions should should delve into at some point. Right. Um, yeah. No, it sounds. And really then, what does that mean if their hands are getting hot? You know. Yeah. So yeah. We don't know. So. I mean, it means something's happening. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's always going to be like, how do we uh, define and and prove and everything like that um wow amazing okay so so your current research interests before we again before we get onto channeling they include extended human abilities or extraordinary human abilities I, I don't know how you phrase it exactly um but yeah so again i'm assuming that includes all the kind of things we've been talking about so far but can you just kind of put a label on what that would be and what do you refer to when you say that great question i think one of my biggest frustrations when i first started working at IONS and learning about parapsychology, which I had no clue existed. So mm. I didn't know, know was, three years ago. I was, it was like totally yeah, alien to me, all of this. It's like, there's this whole field of study that's been going on for over 150 years, rigorously studying these phenomenon. And I had no idea about it. Anyway, yeah. when I first learned about it, learned, uh, started at IONS, I was so frustrated by all the different terms, the various terms that was used psychic, ESP or extrasensory perception, mm -hmm. channeling, mediumship, extended human capacities. So from my perspective, all of these words are trying to put a label on a experience, very human experience that is hard to put into words. And yeah. people keep trying to label it and put the various aspects of it in boxes and yet it is this from my perspective a innate human capacity mm -hmm. that we all have to have perceptions and affect the world in a way that is beyond our five senses that we already know about and that these experiences are quite diverse and they're very unique to each person and they exist on a spectrum from like gut hunches or just general intuition you know should i turn right or left and you're like oh we should go this way you just get a feeling to more extreme examples like the trans channeling that i've already shared about or mediumship this experience of people feeling like they have contact with the dead etc and then you have everything in between like sensing the future or having a precognitive dream or being able to get a mental impression from someone's mind. Mm -hmm. So this huge range of 
human experience is what I call channeling, is what I call extended human capacities, is what I call all these different terms that people try to apply to them. Awesome. Yeah, that's uh, you're right. There's there's so many different terms, and even you can even kind of get into them, can't you, and break them down even more. And like in within mediumship, there's like kind of or not just Mental. mediumship, but there's like clairaudience and all these different you know things. Yeah. And yeah, it gets really detailed. But yeah, so ex- extended human capacities is what you like to call it. Or was it extraordinary? Extended. Extended. And so there's taboos that are associated with each of those words at various levels. Definitely. So more recently, I think there's a trend to try to make the words sound clinical. Mm. (laughs) So extended human capacities makes people think, oh, I wonder what that is. You know, that sounds really interesting versus you're psychic. It's like, no, no, I can't go to psychic because that's taboo. That's not allowed. But we can maybe explore extended human capacities, but it's essentially the same thing. It's referring to the same thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've said this on a few podcasts that uh, there's definitely taboos. And with psychic, you know, particularly... Again, two years ago, if, if you'd said, like, what, what comes to your mind when I say psychic? I, I would just picture, like, you know, some some lady or man sitting in a fairground with a crystal ball and he's, like, under a tent and he's, like, trying to predict my future and he's, like, just making stuff up. He's just looking at me and going, like, oh, yeah, when you're going to have a really long mustache in the future and stuff like that, <laughs> you know? like it, it, So even with me, there was the taboo. But, yeah, it's uh, you're right. Extended human capacities, it sounds much more, I guess, professional as they would uh, you know easier to convince people of uh, that they should actually look into this stuff and and you know take it seriously Um, there's another term that's come up recently called anomalous information reception aiir okay so that's another one or anomalous cognition instead of clairvoyance or anomalous perturbation instead of psychic Kinesis. Literally, there is a whole book that's about 300 pages long on parapsychology terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've got the Science Encyclopedia as well, which I guess I'll put in the description here for anybody that wants to go and see it. And yeah, Anomalous Cognition, I know somebody that calls it that. And yeah, they're good. Hopefully it will help it to to break break free and to, to, to make more of the mainstream aware. Um, that would be great. Let's let's talk a little bit about your book, if you can tell us about your book. So The Science of Channeling, Why You Should Trust Your Intuition and the Force That Connects Us All. Um, I guess if you want to talk a little bit about your book and then after that, I mean, in general, kind of just say a few words about it, but then I'd love it if you could maybe define, give your definition of, of intuition to start us off. Yes. Yeah, so you know about my professional background, you know about my personal background. And so when I got to IONS, I was really excited to be able to study what I call channeling uh, in a rigorous way. And IONS, of course, has done work on this in the past. And of course, researchers around the world have as well. Um, But I wanted to create a cohesive program that was evaluating the various aspects of channeling. For example, what do we already know? You know, what are the characteristics? What are its definitions? How common is it? Uh, What are the different types of phenomenon that people experience? Uh, Who can channel? Can anyone channel? Can some people only channel certain ways? What are the different topics that are channeled? 
And are those useful in any way? So we developed this program with these various research questions that we wanted to solve and started doing studies on them. Now, I was presenting on this work at one of our internal IONS conferences, mm -hmm. and I was walking with one of the attendees and, you know, just getting to know each other and talking about the work that I was doing for the IONS channeling research program. And he said to me, you know, you should write a book about this. I said, no, no, you know, I can't do that. I got to focus on this. He's like, no, no, I think you should write a book about this. And I, I think people would really enjoy it. And in fact, I'm a publisher and I would like to help you do that. So that was the instigation for creating the work of the IONS channeling research program to get put into the science of channeling book, which is really meant for the general public. And it's very accessible language. It does talk about the science, but in a, in a very um, understandable way. And Not quite like the conscious universe then. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I really wanted people to be able to hold up that book and say, you know, I'm not alone. Yeah. I, other people have this experience. In fact, it's quite common. And here's what we know about it thus far mm -hmm. so that people could feel armed and more supported in their experiences. Because at the same time, which I haven't talked about yet, you know, as I started talking about the results of our research, I would always get people commenting to me whether it was in person pre-COVID or through email, et cetera, I want this experience too. And thank you so much for your work. I haven't been able to tell anybody about it. And that was always the line. I haven't been able to tell anybody about it because of the taboos and the fear. And so my, you know, overarching intention of the book is to cut through those taboos. If just a little bit to normalize it, say, Hey, so many people are having these experiences. Yes, there is growing evidence on many of these phenomenon. We still have so much more to learn, yeah. and yet you're not alone. Awesome. Yeah, that's so valuable. I mean, it, people need to hear that kind of stuff. And and yeah, I, I'm looking forward to reading it because it, it sounds very much needed um, and, and very much uh, timely, I suppose. It, it feels like it is. Um, I think people are more ready than ever. Mm. to understand that they have this intuitive capacity. And I think the pandemic really shifted people's perceptions of the world, of themselves, you know, facing mortality in a very yeah. real way, having external events drop away, being stuck with yourself inside yeah. and thinking about, well, who am I? And, you know, what's my purpose? What's meaning of life? And these questions, I think, really inspire us to tap into that inner wisdom, or at least be very curious about it in a way that there wasn't as much room for in the past. Yeah, absolutely. That's all, that's all we need is curiosity and, and open mindedness. And, and then the rest is history. Yes. Um, so yeah, so Tell me how, yeah, how would you define intuition? I mean, it's obviously, it's a word that is known by everybody and everybody kind of would probably give a slightly different definition for it. The materialists would say it's just kind of a thing that you walk into a room and you see like, you know, you you, you ascertain the people there, what's going on there, the, the you know, 
you take in various external factors and you come up with you know an idea of what you need to do or how you need to handle the situation and i guess that would be what lots of people would describe as intuition just like our brain understanding external cues but how would yeah you define it so i think the materialist definition of intuition is is fine and great and i would just add the extra component that intuitively we also perceive information from beyond our traditional five senses and that feeds into our behavior reactions etc that we receive intuitively now i think a distinction between the conscious aspect of intuition versus the unconscious aspect and maybe a materialist might say oh well it's the five senses still picking it up but it's unconscious so it just seems like it's from beyond the five senses and you know you could argue that um and yet my sense is that it's much broader than our five senses and there's so many cases where we learn information about someone you know let's say you're at a party you know you're hanging out it's a barbecue or whatever it's a beautiful day and you meet someone that you've never met before in your life and as you shake their hand you don't know anything about them complete stranger as you shake their hand you get this download in your mind fully formed about their background you know their attitude towards life uh significant events that happened to them their goals for what they want to aspire to in the future just is all completely known to you in the moment of that handshake now i don't know how our five senses could manufacture that even if it was unconscious and yeah. so you ask me well what what's my definition of intuition <clears throat> again it's all about this crazy terminology i do like using intuition because it is a accepted word that we can use to begin the conversations about yeah. what i call channeling and i when i talk about the spectrum it's on the very common general side of the spectrum and it shows up in from a channeling intuitive perspective in a couple different ways and we've done studies on this it shows up in i just know it's true i just know it's true people will say that all the time and they're like i don't know how i know but i know that you loved soccer when you were a kid i don't know i'm just picking up a random example yeah. just have a feeling i just have a feeling but that's different actually oh. because, because people will say i just know it's true and they receive it mentally okay, okay. then there's yeah. other people who say i just feel it i just feel that it's true and they feel it more in their bodies it's like an emotional sense of trueness rather than a mental cognitive sense of trueness okay. so those are the two most common ways that that we have found that people experience what we're calling like general intuition yeah yeah and so i suppose it could also be something like you know if somebody gets a, a job offer it could it be that kind of they just get this 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 feeling or this sense or this knowing of it's the right or wrong thing to do regardless of whether on the face of it with the external you know factors it seems like the right thing to do 
Is that again, like the same kind of thing? Exactly. You know, because you can make your list of pros and cons. Should I take this job? Should I not take this job? That's using our cognitive faculties, which are so wonderful and incredible, valuable tool that we don't want to get rid of. Right. Mm. And yet when you think about taking the job, you know, your whole body like lights up, you might get goosebumps, you might feel more expanded. And when you think about not taking it, you just are like, don't feel as good. And so that to me is your intuitive faculty inviting you to take the job. And often, you know, when people first beginning begin channeling, they're like, well, how do I know? How do I really know if this is a channeling or just, you know, my ego mind or whatever, giving me information. And so it can be very nuanced when you're first starting out. Um, But I find that if you start following, so let's say you get that expansive feeling and you take the job and the job's great and you love it and you feel amazing and your life becomes more easeful and joyful, then it's like, okay, that was the right choice. Or maybe you feel fearful and you're like, no, no, I don't want to take the job. And you say no. And you start feeling like you're banging your head against the wall or things become very difficult. Um, To me, I have found and I've talked to so many people about this, that the consequences of following your intuition is often the greatest indicator of if you're following, if it's a true intuitive hit or not. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 it does. And if you feel like your move, if if you feel like the you following your intuitive choices are moving you more towards ease and flow and joy, Mm -hmm. then that's likely the the channeling feedback that you're getting. It's channeling rather than necessary just ego. So we're back to channeling, and I guess again, just to you did kind of you kind of gave your definition earlier, like kind of pretty much at the start, but just to really clarify on that, just to make sure, you know, I understand and everybody listening and, and watching understands. Um, Cause when I first heard the word channeling, I kind of think like, Oh, that's like mediumship, you know, where, yeah, like something, some, somebody or some entity is kind of coming through somebody and, and, but yeah. So again, so just to be clear for you, your definition, it includes all the various kind of components of psi phenomena it could you could be channeling information from the future you could be channeling remote information or some various things like along those lines channeling from somebody else that's alive channeling i guess it includes mediumship from your point of view as well channeling yes from somebody that's so it's all of those things so when we say channeling we're talking about psi phenomena we're talking about extended human capacities we're talking about yeah anomalous cognition how all all of these various things yes so here i am introducing another word with a different definition just (laughs) messing up the the term situation which i was frustrated about but yes I use channeling as a very, very broad umbrella term. And that underneath that umbrella is this huge wide spectrum of experiences, including all of those that you just mentioned. And trance channeling is one subtype of umbrella thing that I'm calling channeling. And would that be the typical, is that, is that, that when somebody thinks of channeling, you know, without having heard your definition that they they think of something specific, is that what they're thinking of trans channeling? So how can you define that? And and how do you differentiate it from mediumship, which is, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's funny. I'll I'll share that in a second. When the publishers, when we were working on the um, title of the book, I said, I think we should not use channeling because it's just going to confuse people and mess it all up. And there's all these taboos. They're like, no, no, let's just stick with that. So that's why we stuck with it. That's also but, why uh, Eben Alexander ended up calling one of his books Proof of Heaven. I don't think he was very happy with that one either. Um, but there we <laughs> go. <laughs> exactly, right? Publishers are often dictate what those titles get the splash. So yeah, I agree. It is it is a little bit confusing. And I hope that we will find uh, a theory model mechanism that will help explain all this because my sense is it's all aspects of the same thing. Mm. Yeah. And before I jump into that, because that's more philosophical. So trance channeling is a specific type of channeling where the channeler believes that their body is acting as a vehicle for a supposed non-physical entity, a spirit, if you will. But not necessarily a, a deceased per, like entity or anything like that. Well, it doesn't have this, to have been somebody that was living. Is that right? It could be something non-human or is that is that possible that's correct it could be a deceased human it could be you know what's called an ascended master it can be an extraterrestrial intelligence there's any number of non-physical beings that supposedly communicate Mm -hmm. through the trans channeler and what's distinct between the trans channeler and mental mediumship is that the trans channeler the way it's been described is they essentially are either step aside or go to sleep and then some other being is using their body using their voice as a vehicle to speak move etc interact and so the channeler uh is not engaged, if you will. Their mind is not necessarily engaged, although we could get into the nuance of that. Mental mediumship is different because they are more like a translator. Mm -hmm. So they may see visuals, they may hear voices, they may, you know, in their mind's eye, see a deceased person and, you know, see them talking, hear them talking, and then they will say, your uncle so-and-so said this to me. Does that resonate? So they're like a translator. Whereas in trans channeling, Uncle Joe is actually speaking right through the body. So that's the distinction. Guess, does that make sense? It does. And I guess just to kind of add on to that, I guess in that case, physical mediumship, how would you kind of differentiate that with channeling? Or would that just literally be almost the same as trans channeling, but just specifically with people who are, you know, used to walk on this earth? Physical mediumship is different from trans channeling in that it is based on producing physical phenomenon Mm. using something called ectoplasm, which is supposedly the substance that the physical medium can produce that the supposed beings can then manipulate to show a presentation of themselves. So that's where you might have this ectoplasmic spirit standing in front of you. You may have an actual voice that is speaking uh, in the room, not yeah. through the the medium's yeah, like body, but just like this disembodied voice that just starts yeah. talking. Direct uh, voice. Yes, there's 
<clears throat> we've done a little bit of work at IONS around physical mediumship recently to kind of bring it more to the forefront to see what's going into on the light. <laughs> into the light. But there's just so much, so many issues with doing physical mediumship research. It's quite intense, actually, because there has been historical fraud around it. It's so hard to prove that fraud isn't happening. Yeah. Uh, it's a very, very tricky area to study. Super fascinating, though. Have you ever yeah. ever sat with a physical medium? I have not, although I will be later this year attending quite a number of physical mediumship uh, oh, cool. sessions myself just to see what they're like. Yeah. Yeah. All in the name of science, of course. Exactly. That's, that's, that's <laughs> exciting, though. So are you looking forward to that? Yes, absolutely. That'll be yeah. great. I I'm mean, hoping... I've, seen thousands, I've seen thousands of trance channeling sessions. And so mm. I'm no stranger to the experiences, but people have told me that physical mediumship is quite different. So we'll see what it's yeah. like. Yeah, like the seeing of yeah physical things moving. I haven't yet, but I'm hoping to get the chance to maybe later this year. But I've spoken to a number of people that have sat with physical mediums and, and I've spoken to a physical medium and like, yeah, it's it's really, really interesting. Um anyway to get back to you so you also have your own psi abilities right you you have probably had them you know since you were a child is that right yes what, what kind of abilities have you noticed when did you first notice them and again i know you mentioned earlier that you think everybody has these potential has this potential um probably most people it's undiscovered or you know it's still under the surface or or even or even just unnoticed um but yeah so how did that start for you and and what are you what abilities that are you aware of it's always so hard to word these things correctly isn't it <laughs> yes <laughs> so yeah i as a child i was really quite sensitive and now as an adult looking back i think that that was my kind of blossoming of my psi abilities if you will you know i could walk into a room and i would just feel the emotions of what was in a room i was really afraid of the dark. We had these stairs that would go up one landing and then up another set. And I was always felt like there was something, you know, behind me. And now I wonder, okay, was that me sensing things or is that just me as a child afraid of the dark? I don't know. Yeah. I can't really answer that, but I'm curious about it. Then, you know, another aspect that really started developing was uh, body sensation. So I would get goosebumps mm -hmm. if I was connecting with someone and they were sharing about something that really resonated as truth to me. Or let's say I, my friend was talking about, you know, what college she wanted to go to or something. And she'd talk about one, my whole body would be covered in goosebumps. But then she'd talk about another and I wouldn't feel anything. So those goosebumps started to me being an indicator of a truth or a path to follow. And that has really supported me in my whole life. This wow. called embodied sensations. So I also, when I was in private practice, I would be talking to patients and, you know, they'd be talking about their symptoms 
And I would get this big download, kind of like I talked about meeting someone at a party. I would just get a big download of what the root cause of their symptoms were. And then I would ask them a question about it and they'd, you know, start crying and emoting and releasing this, you know, trauma and their symptoms would dissipate. So I saw that over and over again in my practice, getting these downloads of information to support my patients. And then more recently, I was very curious about trans channeling as, you know, it runs in my family. My mother's a trans channel, my uncle, my grandmother. And I was curious if I could actually learn how to do that. And this was when I was at ION studying trans channeling. And I'm very inspired by the researcher who actually experiences the phenomenon themselves. And I think that that helps study it in a more effective way. So a colleague of mine in Italy, Patricio Trisoldi and his team developed a hypnosis technique to teach people how to trans channel. So I went through, did that uh, technique and can now trans channel if I choose to. So, so in answer to your question, I experienced many different types of psi channeling phenomenon, whatever the heck you want to call them. And they show up in different ways for me. Yeah. Can anyone channel? I feel that anyone can. And yet the way that it shows up for them is unique to them, like a fingerprint, if you will. And we call that the noetic signature. And we've actually done a number of studies on it, polling people to see how they experience these various channeling phenomenon and have classified them into 12 different characteristics many of which are the ones we've talked about today. You know, general intuition, uh, mind-to-mind communication or telepathy, uh, mediumship channel, trans-channeling, knowing things through dreams was another big one. That's not one of my strong suits, but many people will actually get channeled information through their dreams that turn out to be true, which is fascinating. Yeah. And then, you know, visualization manifestation, how does our intention affect the physical world? So those are just a few examples of the various characteristics of people's channeling abilities. And most often people don't have just one, they actually experience many of them in different ways. And one might be the strongest for them in that moment. And What we don't know yet, but what I'm hypothesizing is that you can actually train these abilities. You can take courses, and if you believe that you can do it and you practice it, that you can strengthen your channeling abilities. Yeah, so fascinating, and it absolutely makes sense. And it's kind of, in a way, it's like why why would we think anything other other than that, really? When when you you know, it's totally normal for people to be gifted at maths. They're not so good at art they're not so creative and maybe they're really good with people but at the same time they're they you know i don't know it's very normal for us to have talents in certain areas and but there's nobody that has zero ability in maths for example because everybody can you know do one plus one or or what have you so it's yeah it's it's like a a spectrum isn't it like you say with this um So in a second, I want to ask you, because you were just talking about people, you know, training people. Obviously, I, I want to ask you for some brief advice for, for people at home. But before I do that, um, have you ever bent a spoon? <laughs> I have. Yes. You have. Bent a spoon. 
Cool. It, so what was it, that like? What was your first time like? <laughs> I was, it was with my uncle and sometimes he would take us kids, you know, at our, I had a huge family and we'd have family parties and, you know, the kids and teenagers would be bored and he'd say, come on, let's go over here and have a little fun. And we'd get our spoons and he directed us to focus our intention on the spoon and to envision that it was soft. And we just envisioned that it was soft and that it was melting. And, you know, you, I don't know if you've ever done it yourself. If you have a strong- Never successfully. Okay, if you have a strong enough spoon, I mean, you could potentially bend it with your hand, but it takes a great deal of force to do yeah. that. And it depends how you hold it as well, right? But exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, we would keep doing that and, you know, we'd test it every once in a while. And then at some point, it just got so easy and it just went and just totally bent. Wow. It was quite incredible. So we did a, a recent spoon bending with the science team, actually. So obviously that was decades ago when I was a child and I hadn't done it since. Um, although I did bend rebar one time with my throat, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> um, we tried it with the, the science team recently and I was not able to do it, although there were other members of my team who did. And so, you know, Dean Radin, our chief scientist, who, you know, I'm sure, you know, he was yeah. able to just completely bend his, his, um, spin. Yeah, I think he showed it to me when I spoke to him. Yeah. Yeah. So that was exciting. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. I think if I ever did it successfully, I'd be kind of, I'd want to try and do it all the time, you know, so I could do it on demand just whenever yes. I want. Just, that would be, uh, that would be incredible. What was it you mentioned about the bar and your throat? Do you want to go into that or? <laughs> well, it was not intended to be a, a channeling phenomenon per se. I was at a personal growth workshop that was really about empowering people and the power of the mind, the power of intention. Mm -hmm. And we did this one exercise, which now when you when I just think about, I'm like, that's crazy that I did that. But okay, here's what happened. We had a long piece of rebar. It was probably about five feet long, about, you know, this wide, this round in diameter. And the tip of it was right here on the soft part of my throat. Mm -hmm. The other tip was on the soft part of my partner's throat. And we got into a very, you know, energized, invigorated, intentful, willful space. And when we were both ready, we walked towards each other and the rebar just bent in half like butter. It was no amazing. Way. Yeah. Whoa. And that's like, that's hard metal. Like you obviously tried it before and stuff and probably yeah. afterwards. Yes. I don't know if you know what rebar is, but it's, you know, what they use for the structural um, pieces in cement when they make okay. roads and buildings. It's like, a, well, I know now, I know now. Yeah, strong um, piece of metal. Wow. And that, yeah, that just bent like it significantly. Bent. Oh yeah. It was completely, you know, just went whoop, like that. Wow. It's amazing. Wow. And such a rush, such invigorating. Yeah. I would not okay. recommend anyone listening to this. Stick to spoons. Home, just as fun. Stick to spoons. Unless you're <laughs> yeah. part of an organized workshop that's building up to that. Cause that was like one of the grand finales. 
<laughs> yeah. Wow. Amazing. Did you notice I asked if it was like significantly bent, which is like kind of it's a problem in a way that question because it's the same thing as like you know with psi phenomena or channeling and and extended human capacities in general the effect might not be very strong and in fact in a lot of cases it's quite weak in relatively speaking but it doesn't need to be strong does it to be extraordinary like for example with um like affecting a random number generator or whatever it only needs to show a tiny effect if it's consistent enough over a, a large enough sample size then that's extraordinary in itself um, so yeah, I, I need to get away from that kind of, uh, idea. Like if it was bent at all by the soft part of here, like a hard metal bar, it doesn't really matter whether it was totally in half or just a, a little kind of, you know, a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah amazing. You bring up a um, really important point, um, around a psychokinesis or mind influencing matter or intention influencing the physical world, however you want to say it. So there's something called macro psychokinesis or macro PK. And this is what we can see with our physical eye, like the rebar, yeah. the spoon, or, you know, actually being able to visually see a shift. There's a PK teacher, Sean McNamara, and he uses a piece of foil on a needle that's in a cork that's covered in like a glass bowl. And, mm -hmm. Uh, so you direct your intention and then you see the foil start spinning. So really? these are incredible because it's the physical eye can just witness it immediately. And of course, people are looking for materialist reasons for why that's so, but we can actually demonstrate that in a um, visual way. Now, yeah. those other pieces you talked about, like the random number generators, uh, dice, uh, radioisotopes, they're probabilistic systems, and you need statistics to be able to see the effect. And like you mentioned, even when you do run the statistics, it's significant, but the effect size is so low. And the effect size is basically telling us the strength of the effect. And yeah. if you think about behavior modification, like psychological interventions for mental health, those are often at like 0.3, right? You see some drugs for other things, they're as high as uh, 1.0, et cetera, or 0.9 or up to one. And so some of the effects we see in channeling are quite low, like 0.15 or 0.20. And some people argue, oh, it's just some artifact because it's such a low effect size. And yet, if you think, if you think about it, in the materialist paradigm, our intention should not affect matter at all. Like it should nice. be zero all the time. <laughs> and so the fact that we're getting any effect at all is quite remarkable. And there's many phenomenon in channeling where we see these results replicated in rigorous lab studies in different laboratories around the world. So to me, this is quite amazing. You know, you see that in telepathy and remote viewing, um, also in the PK experiments. And so skeptics will, will, you know, try to poke holes in that. And some people will ask a general question of like, is it all real? Or have you proven this? It's like, you can't answer that question in a simple way. There's so many different nuances depending on what you look at. And I think 
the more we can develop experiments where we can see it with the naked eye, um, the easier it's going to be to, you know, have people break through their taboos about these phenomenon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me briefly uh, go back to your your trans channeling that, that you've learned to do yourself. Like, is it something you do before? Again, I do still want to go back and get that advice for people in a minute. But just uh, I keep getting distracted. So, yeah, your um, your trans channeling. Is that something you do regularly, frequently um, or rarely? And what is it like? Like, how how does that again, just in kind of in brief, I guess, in a nutshell, like how how does that happen how does that take place do you have to how do you do it do you sit down get into a particular mind state and i guess one other kind of side question about the trans channeling is have you ever been because you said you've you've been around loads of people that have done it have you ever been around somebody that's communicated with some form of non-human intelligence and you felt confident that that is it is in fact what they're communicating with a non-human intelligence because obviously you can't prove that beyond beyond any doubt um, and when I say non-human, I, yeah, I'm referring to not somebody that was alive and died, like something yeah, entirely non-human. Um, so yeah, two, two questions there. So my experience of trans-channeling is fascinating. I, if I want to do a channeling session, regardless of the type of channeling, I will get into a very still, comfortable, quiet, meditative state that supports me in entering the altered state of consciousness that's conducive to channeling. And I'm sharing this in a very specific way because this is also the advice to the your audience on how to practice channeling if yeah, they choose yeah. to. So the strongest predictor for channeling is belief believing that you can do it believing that it's real in quotes which is fascinating and something we have control over <clears throat> so i believe that channeling is a real phenomenon i believe that i can do channeling and then being a meditator or meditating is also one of the strongest predictors for doing well at channeling and i've yeah. been meditating for over 20 years so that's kind of my pathway to get into that state I don't do trans channeling very often. Um, sometimes I'll do it when I'm with my mother who is a trans channeler and we'll often do trans channeling sessions together, but she will usually be the trans channeling, but sometimes I'll get a knock on my head saying, we'd like you to do it this time. And I will actually be the one doing the trans channeling. My experience of it is so totally bizarre. I mean, it's such a bizarre, experience to feel your consciousness in a very relaxed awake aware state and yet no clue what's coming out of my mouth no clue that my mouth is even going to move and i'm basically an audience member just observing what is happening it's really quite fascinating from your own eyes or like are you kind of out of body like are you are you kind of i observing... am physical my consciousness is uh physically in the perspective of being in my body mm -hmm. yeah some people uh some trans channelers will actually be out of their body but that's more rare uh yeah. most trans channelers i talk to nowadays 
and this is my experience as well, describe it as kind of like stepping aside. It's like you're in your body, but you're... Um, I've heard that kind of thing from physical mediums as well. Yeah, adjacent to it. So that's answering your questions about my experience of trance channeling. And then your second question was about, you know, human intelligence. Do I believe? So I often in interviews will will say, well, when I'm wearing my scientist hat, I will tell you, we have not definitively proven what the source is. We really just don't know. And I think we will eventually. I I think we just don't have the right tools to be able to evaluate it definitively. So from that perspective, I feel like the jury's still out. I cannot say to you, yes, it is a non-physical intelligence. No, of course not. But in a slightly, you know. With the other hat. With the other hat. I personally believe that, yes, there are non-physical beings that I can communicate with them, that, yes, they are part of me in the larger sense in that we are all one. And yet our oneness shows up in individualized way for experience, to essentially just have experience any type of experience so my experience in this life is as helene which has this specific individualized personality that's in a physical form Mm -hmm. but that other individualized essences or beings or whatever you want to call it don't have a physical form in this 3d world and that i can communicate with them in that way yeah yeah, it's so fascinating. And and in terms of like you mentioned earlier, like some people think they they can channel like an extra extraterrestrial intelligence. Um, in terms of like a physical being potentially somewhere else. That's is is. Have you ever been around somebody that claims to do that? And and again, same question: Is that do you include that in your answer from just now when you said that you do believe that to be possible? In theory, it makes sense to me. I mean, I'm not so arrogant to think that we are the only intelligent beings in this universe. It just seems crazy to me to think that humans are all that is. So I do, I mean, I I can't imagine there not being extraterrestrial intelligences somewhere and that the probability is probably high that they have technologies or have mastered their ability to communicate telepathically or you know affect things in different ways to me that seems like oh yeah that makes sense that that could happen there are numerous channelers around the world who believe that they are channeling extraterrestrial intelligences and the content is often very similar uh, based on the eti that's coming through so Again, I can't prove it, but I find it incredibly fascinating that there are so many common themes um, depending on the particular ET that's communicating. And yes, I have witnessed channeling, trans channeling, where a supposed ET was communicating. What was that like? You said it was, it was kind of similar, similar to a, if they were channeling, you know, any other entity or was there some distinct difference? 
Well, the channelers, trans channelers that I've experienced, they will, I don't know if, have you ever witnessed trans channeling? Okay, so I invite you to to try that out. It's really quite remarkable. And I think I'm very lucky in that I, I'm very, I know trans channelers personally on an everyday level. So then I can see how much they change, you know? Yeah. And their mannerisms, their voice, their physical, the physical, physicality of their body shifts. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've seen trans channelers who are like, you know, get like this. And then I, and they'll start talking in this really high pitched voice, which is not their normal voice. Um, anyway, I could go on and on about that, but yeah i guess i want to also say that there's apparently more than one eti like it's not all just like often people will just lump oh it's an alien or oh it's an eti yeah. it appears on the surface to be that there's so many different types that are trying to communicate in this way if they're real yeah. if they're real i don't know if they're real but it's not like it's just a consistent um personality slash characteristic of an eti that's being trans channel yeah. it's quite fascinating anyway i love to just dive into all this work and i'm so grateful and blessed for the research that i do and there's only so much time I have. It's like, oh, I want to go deeply into this or, oh, I want to go deeply into this. I'm really excited about uh, AI because I think that's going to allow us to uh, process some of this data more effectively because qualitative yeah. data just takes so much person power. But one of my dream projects is to collate. Let's say we collated all the channeled content that was mm -hmm. supposedly from an ETI and yeah. got to use AI to analyze it. Are there common themes or not? Or what are they saying? Can we verify it in any way? Those are the type of research studies that would be so fun to dive into. That, that would be fascinating looking for patterns and everything like that yeah that yeah. would be that'd be brilliant um so look i'm conscious we haven't got too long left so i guess we're gonna have to kind of move fairly swiftly through these these last few questions i have for you um i guess for now uh, the you kind of there was some there were definitely some snippets in there that people can take um but if there's any other advice for people that maybe i mean let's let's aim it generally at people that i guess uh to use a word from one of my patrons muggles um you know from harry potter i, I think that kind of fits quite well like I, I guess i consider myself a muggle as well like i don't really notice any experiences of these kind of things maybe have started to maybe have started to see a few synchronicities or things like that but in general i i'm yeah i i don't really have these experiences and i think a lot of people don't as much as they would like to maybe they would like to be you know they're quite open to these things um but yeah just some general advice for maybe the people how they can have more of these experiences or begin to have these experiences or or open themselves up to them i think step one is to set the intention that it be so so for example ben you could say you know i'm setting the intention that my channeling my natural channeling ability will be strengthened mm -hmm. simple intention that you could write down then imagine every day 
taking, it could be as little as five minutes, finding a place that feels peaceful, quiet, and just sitting there in stillness. If you have a meditation practice using whatever practice you normally use to just get as still and quiet as possible, again, setting the intention for the next five minutes, I want to practice my innate channeling ability. And you come to that session with a question, preferably a simple yes, no question. Don't start with, should I get a divorce or not? Or should I leave the country and move to Antarctica? Start with very simple yes, no questions. You know, should I have fish or beef for dinner? I don't know. Just it can be very basic. And then you practice to uh, sensing what a yes is and what a no is, right? Okay. So, you know, should I have, or for example, people, I think it's great to do it with diet and food stuff. You know, mm-hmm. does sugar work for my body? Yes or no. And then you feel what's happening in your body. You see if you get any visuals, you see if you hear any sounds, you're basically attempting to learn what's your particular flavor of channeling. And if you set the intention to get clear information and you really believe that it's possible and you continue that practice, even if it's just a few minutes a day, I have no doubt that it will show up for you. Brilliant. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And and I guess um, what you would say if I'd given you longer to answer it is just meditation in general. The more people meditate, the the higher the, the, their chances are of having these Absolutely. kinds of experiences. Because meditation, I, hopefully we'll have a, a top, an opportunity to talk again in the future and we can kind of dive deeper into meditation because that's obviously a fascinating topic and it's one that you know a lot about. And it seemingly has links to all of these various different kinds of anomalous phenomena, you know, like in so many different ways that I won't even go into now and that you obviously know way more about it than me. But yeah, that's something hopefully we'll have the chance to talk about in the future. For now, I guess, yeah, let's rattle through one or two questions. So um, Can I say one more thing? I'm so sorry. Please. please I want to also say that, you know, that sitting quietly doesn't work for everybody. And that mm-hmm. there's so many different paths to getting into an altered state of consciousness. And you basically just need to find what works best for you. Maybe it's walking in the forest. Maybe it's drumming. Maybe it's a particular type of music. You know, of course, there's this whole psychedelic renaissance, which um, many people are resonating with, and and psychedelics are associated with increased channeling abilities. So I'm not saying go do psychedelics, but the point I'm trying to make is there's so many different paths to get into this altered state of consciousness, which is not our normal daily running around state of mind that makes it more conducive to receive this information from beyond our five senses yeah awesome yeah that is valuable advice because yeah you're right sitting still and thinking of nothing can be rather challenging for some of us um so yeah your thoughts is there there anything else you wanted to say in terms of advice or anything like that before before i move on just to make sure cool um so your thoughts on and we've talked about in general kind of anomalous healing and your kind of your, your, you know your uncle's hot hands and stuff um but are you familiar with the the bankston method bill bankston's uh, kind of healing method that he's come up with um and what are your thoughts on that have you ever tried it um yeah just what's your take on that in a, in a very brief nutshell 
Yes. Yeah, so uh, we've actually worked with Bing, Bill Bankston and done studies with him. And I know he continues to do incredible studies on his healing methods. They're finding remarkable positive findings, which is quite fascinating. I think energy medicine in general is has a growing body of literature demonstrating its positive effect. So yes, I think we need to definitely continue studying it and seeing how we can maximize that to support people in healing. Yeah. And how can we somehow yeah get it get it out there to the masses without the uh, you know the profit thing that we were talking about earlier? Because yes, um, there are some very powerful forces that won't necessarily want it to catch on. Um how strong do you believe channeling psi phenomena these things how strong can they be uh, is there a limit i I'm, i think i know where you'll go with this but yeah what are your thoughts on that is there any kind of limit to these phenomena to how powerful they can be that's such a great question and i don't have i from the scientist perspective i should say i don't know yeah we'll there, are, <laughs> there are there are few people on our planet who are superheroes, if you will. And, you know, there are definitely cases of people who demonstrate incredibly remarkable psi phenomenon, but it's not the norm. I mean, they're rare. And maybe it's just like the normal bell curve, like you would see in any type of ability or talent. Now, yeah. some channelers say that that's purposeful, that there is some block to our abilities for humans to access this because we aren't spiritually mature enough to handle it. I often play a thought experiment around, well, what would happen if tomorrow, you know, let's say there was an obstacle, if it was cleared, and all of a sudden I could hear your thoughts, you could hear mine, I could hear everybody's thoughts, and my intentions immediately were manifested in the physical world, it would be chaos. It would be total, utter, complete chaos. But I feel that we would be forced to very quickly become impeccable with our thoughts, yeah. impeccable with our minds, with how we dealt with people, with how we treat ourselves. So part yeah. of me is like, wouldn't that be amazing? I would love to see <laughs> that happen. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't be any worse than what's going on outside now. So let's give it a go. Right. Yeah, you're right though. It would be wild. It would be chaos. It would, um, if everything, yeah, if it all, everybody realized it was all possible and all of a sudden everybody's reading each other's minds and like, you know, people are predicting the future. Don't do that because of this. And then, yeah, um, yeah, that would be, that, that could be a good film though. I'd like to see something like that. Um, so in terms of, yeah, limits to Psy and things like that, I mean, obviously you're familiar with the kind of debate between Super Psy and survival. Um, what are your thoughts on on that kind of that debate? And just what are your thoughts in general for the evidence for survival of, of consciousness after the death of our bodies? Uh, again, my personal hat is that I am uh, on the survivalist camp. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> scientifically... It's very challenging because you cannot rule out psi. You can't rule out living agent psi. So it makes it really tricky. Although I personally believe there is enough evidence beyond a reasonable doubt when you look at all the bodies of evidence together 
the reincarnation, the mediumship, the out of body, the near death experiences, it seems highly unlikely to me that it is living agent psi, um, yeah. but we can't definitively prove it from a scientific mm. perspective, in my opinion, right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. It is a it is a really interesting one to think about. It's like a little, you know, thought exercise. And I'm trying to kind of come up with a little list of some of the things that I think are the hardest to reconcile with the super psi hypothesis, because I'm also in, in the survival camp. I think that's where the evidence points for me. And like, I think the, the birthmarks in some of the reincarnation cases are one of the hardest things to fit into a super psi. But I'm sure somebody that's committed to the super psi hypothesis would find a way to make that, you know, possible. Like I anyway, we don't have time to do it now. Um so again, just uh, I got like just two or three just probably two quick questions left. Um one of them is kind of related to what we just said and it's just in a nutshell, if you're comfortable sharing, what are your personal kind of thoughts on what actually does happen after we die? Yeah. Um, before we jump into that, I just want to also say that, you know, these different camp size, super size survival, even though <clears throat> I believe I'm in the survival camp, I think if you look at the breadth of situations where we're accessing this information, sometimes it's size and sometimes mm. it's super size oh, yeah. and sometimes it's survival. Does mm. that make sense? So I don't think it's just one or the other. I think they're, no. they all actually happen. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's what I would agree. I think, I think most people in the survival camp would say that. I think it's more the people in the camp of super side would might might say that yeah. they don't think there's evidence for survival. But yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, what do you think? Yes. Yeah, so, and you asked for my personal. Exactly. Thoughts. Exactly. Okay, yeah. great. So again, personal hat on. I just it's important to me to make those distinctions. So personally, I do believe we have a spirit soul that when our physical body dies, that our spirit soul leaves that, that there is some transition period where we move into another realm where we're guided by non-physical beings that support us. And that, uh, that learning and experience continue even when we're not out of a body. I'm sorry, when we're out of a body and that we continue to... Um, create situations for us to evolve, expand, to learn, to love, to grow. And that if we choose to, we can come back into another physical form, whether it's on yeah. earth or beyond. Yeah. Awesome. Very, very nicely summed up into a quick answer there. Cause again, we could probably <laughs> do a couple of hours on that. Um, okay. So I guess my last question before I just ask you for a few words. Um, so Edgar Mitchell, Ion's co-founder, of course, uh, the sixth man on the moon, along with his big fascination into Psy and, and channeling these kind of things. He also was incredibly enthusiastic about looking into UFOs, the UFO phenomenon. What are your thoughts on that, on the UFO phenomenon? And, and have you ever seen one? I've not personally seen one. I am so excited that the UAP is now out in the open and, you know, we can actually talk about this without, you know, yeah. being branded as insane, but yeah. it's not an area that I am super involved in and super read up on, but I personally mm -hmm. think it's fantastic. And if you look at all of these, arenas actually you see such a huge opening right now in humanity so even yeah. though 
there's so many aspects that are just really dark and depressing and overwhelming and you get a sense of hopelessness. There also is this huge opening that I think is broadening humanity's mind in a much more expansive way than ever before. So I, and the UAP movement, I think is, is one of those. And like I mentioned earlier, I personally find it very arrogant to think that humans are all there is. And I think my hope in that work is to at least be open-minded and mature enough to not assume that the aliens are going to come get us and destroy us, that it won't be such a defensive military action, um, but could be more like, I can't remember that the name of that brilliant movie where the the big rock shows up and they learn how to translate. Oh, close and oh no, Arrival is it? Are yeah, you, I, think I think it was Arrival. Arrival. Yeah. I mean, that was yeah. such a beautiful movie, and it's interesting if you look at movies and our and and how those depict um, ET relationship with humans. There's many yeah. more recently that are more relational rather than mm. militaristic, and so to me. I think that's a good sign. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and that's that's really awesome answer. Um, okay, look, I'm going to have to let you get going. Before I do, just have you got any kind of last uh, last things you want to say to anybody that's watched or listened, any last words or a message? Um, can be anything at all. Thank you so much. I just want to appreciate you, appreciate the audience for for being with us today and invite you to connect with the IONS community at noetic, N-O-E-T-I-C dot org. There's such incredible resources there for you to explore with us our human potential and how you can incorporate channeling and uh, the noetic into your daily life to support you. So I'm looking forward to connecting with you again in the future yeah i i look forward to it too and all those that will be in the description the links to, to ions and the link to to your book and everything like that so if anybody's interested just scroll down and yeah i hope we can do this again in the future and thank you so much for your time today helani this was awesome i really enjoyed it um we could i think we could have gone for absolutely hours here just yeah. uh, whether we you know either on just your personal experiences or on the science or the philosophy like wh wh whichever angle i feel like we could have just carried on um so anyway it's an absolute pleasure um really appreciate your time thank you thank you ben thank you for listening to my conversation with helane wabe i hope you enjoyed it and picked up some new ideas or insights please see the description for relevant links including to helane's book please subscribe if you want to continue unraveling the universe with us and if you want to help us keep doing what we're doing you can contribute via patreon thank you <laughs>